0: Night, but Ephesians 3, we will see a prayer of Paul for specifically the church at Ephesus. But by the inspiration of God and the preservation of his word, this is a prayer in a sense for us and one that we can pattern our prayers after for others. This is a divinely inspired prayer. That's incredible. And it's the heart of Paul. So there's the human side of Paul that we see, though this is a prayer that he is written by the inspiration of God, God breathed, but we see his heart and we see a pattern and we see how we can pray for one another. So this would fit, as we have talked about in the the last week or two, who do we pray for? This would fit... uh, possibly into praying for laborers and shepherds as uh, Paul was obviously including the the elder, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, but also in praying for the saints, praying for one another, and then we have spent some time already looking at how we should be praying for those in authority, and I went too far, too fast, there we go, and praying for those even who abuse us, those who persecute us. We looked at the disciples' prayer, and we'll see some of these same patterns as we looked at last week, the disciples' or the Lord's Prayer, as it's often referred to from Luke 11, Matthew 6, in the pattern of adoration, praying, knowing, or recognizing, upholding who God is, exalting Him, His character, His will, His works. Also, we commonly think of prayer as asking, that's Obviously, a, an important part of prayer, and that includes intercession, petition, uh, supplication. But then there's also agreement. In our prayers, there is to be confession. This should be a regular part of our prayer. All of these different aspects should be in our prayer and should be the pattern of our prayer life. Adoration, asking, and agreement. And we can come to the Lord in our personal devotions, in our personal time with the Lord, our quiet time, our time with the Lord, whatever uh, we call it, and in our Bible reading, we're in a sense, we are uh, hearing from God. He's talking to us through his word, and then as we pray, that conversation continues in our talking to God, and there's that, that dialogue in that in that sense, in, in our prayer life, in our Talking to God, there should be included adoration, asking, and agreement. So then, let's look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. This is such a wonderful, rich study, a wonderfully rich prayer. And we are just going to barely be able to skim across the surface and touch on it tonight. But we see, first of all, Paul's address. Paul's address to the Ephesians. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So we see some adoration already. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. But we see also Paul's purpose. We already see that adoration, looking at that pattern of the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. We see him calling out to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice he begins in verse 14 for this cause. So there's a purpose in his prayer. Okay? So when we pray, we should pray with purpose. We, we sometimes pray just because we're called on uh, I know that some young people they do not enjoy any kind of public prayer whether it be a small group or a large group I know when I first uh, came here as, as pastor I know I, I I surprised some people when I when I started calling on men to, to pray uh, I love calling on men to pray and I don't think I've woken anybody up yet <laughs> but <laughs> but you know we 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 have purpose in our prayer we should have purpose in our prayer sometimes we we only pray because well it's expected of us before our food it's expected of us because the preacher just called on me uh, because no one else will volunteer and I'm the only one that seems to know what I'm doing or I feel guilty if I don't or someone's expecting me to but we're, we're to have purpose in our prayer like Paul had for the people of Ephesus what drove him to pray his love for these people his desire to see them grow spiritually his desire to see them continue in their walk with God to be faithful Uh, I, I don't I don't know about I don't know about you but I'll have to admit that one of the great drivers of my prayer life is two of my children driving And another driver to my prayer is a daughter who goes to college hundreds of miles away. Uh, Prayer for safety and for God's protection. I mean, we we have purpose prayers for those specific needs. And we should, but where is the purpose-driven prayer that we have for the spiritual growth of others, for a person to get saved for a, a change of 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 life and direction for a person to look to God instead of to themselves, instead of to their wealth, their material possessions, their whatever. Here we see Paul for this cause. And then he, he goes on. We not only see purpose, but we see posture. The, the, the point isn't so much about the bowing of the knees physically, though, of course, that is important. And sometimes we do only focus if we're down on our knees. Maybe there's a, a, another posture that is better for you because you might have bad knees. And if you get down, you might not get up the rest of the day. Okay, uh, your, your posture in prayer, it, it may be some other way. It may just be sitting. It may be standing. And it wasn't that uncommon for there to be prayers while standing uh, back in, in Bible times. The the emphasis here on bowing the knees is on the posture of the heart. This is about our attitude in our prayer life, Uh, a, a humility, a dependence. Lord, I'm coming to you. And here's Paul. He is wanting there to be spiritual growth. He wants there to be strength. He wants there to be Christ likeness. Yes, there are probably physical needs and material needs, but you'll see the emphasis in Paul's prayer is for the spiritual growth, the maturity of these people at Ephesus. And Paul knows, yes, he needs to preach the word. And Paul was a preacher, and he preached the word, and he preached it faithfully, and he preached it strongly in spite of opposition. But Paul knew that he had to pray as well as preach and I remember one of my professors in college, he, w- he emphasized, he's with the Lord now, but he would emphasize to us preacher boys, prepare and preach, but pray, pray, pray your sermons hot, he would say. Pray your sermons like they're going in the oven and they're heating them up to proclaim, not because it's of you, but because that prayer shows your dependence upon the Lord to take his truth and to reach the hearts of the people. And I love Dr. Custer to this day because I can still see him up there and how he would emphasize that with us and the importance of prayer. But it's for all of us as believers. There is to be this, again, this adoration, this dependence, and it's a matter of humility. It's a matter of trusting God. And then when, when when I use the word position here, I want us to think about this word father, okay? This is a term of reverence. This is a term of exaltation. This is a reference to the headship of God. Paul is affirming God's greatness as the head over his church and over all of creation. And Without getting too carried away here, isn't there in the attack on the family today? in cancel culture, in the LGBTQ, in, in the immorality, in the broken society in which we live, isn't there a subtle and sometimes not so subtle attack upon this concept of father, of patriarchy, where God is Represented as male and the headship and the leadership and the sovereignty and the rulership and ultimately the authority of God. Now, I'm not here to make some chauvinistic claim. That's not what I'm saying. And believe me, us as men, we have our problems. Okay? But isn't there in the attack on the family, isn't there a subtle and sometimes not so subtle attack on God's authority and God's order for the home, for the family, for the church, and for society in general. I get so tired of these terms, toxic masculinity. Just because a boy is made by God to be a leader, to be an adventurer, to be a risk taker, to go out and to exercise that desire to lead and to be adventurous and to take risks and to be a guide and to be a protector and to be a provider just because God has put that within man as a male human being does that make him toxic no And in some ways, we've even seen direct attacks upon the word of God by gender neutral versions of the word of God of the Bible. Have you heard of some of those where they go through and they try to take out all of the references to God as father to any reference to male or female? It's a gender neutral version. I'm not even going to call it a translation because it's not even worthy of being called a translation. It's a man-made version trying to erase even the distinctions of male and female and God as Father from Scripture. It's blasphemy. Again, I don't mean to get on too much of a rabbit trail there, but this word Father is chosen by God, inspired. This is God-breathed. There is a purpose in this word being used. There's the adoration. There's the exaltation of God as Father. And it Reminds us of our position before the Lord. So we see Paul's address. There's purpose. There's posture, humility in the position. But then we see also, we see Paul's appeal. Won't be able to finish tonight. That's okay. But we drop down to verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. What does Paul pray for? Paul prays that there be spiritual growth, that there be maturity among the Ephesians, that the inner man be strengthened. So, what is the inner man? The inner man is the seat of our consciousness, the seat of our moral being. We often refer to it as the heart. This is where the real battle for our character is fought. This is ultimately where the battle for our integrity is fought, right here in the heart. Because we can put on affronts, we can deceive, we can show a certain kind of demeanor to lots of people. And not all of that is false, of course. There's, there's to be a genuineness uh, in our outward. Our outward should match our inward, of course. And we've talked about hypocrisy already uh, recently in our study through the, the book of John. But the idea here is that the strength, the moral integrity has to come from within the power of God comes from within as we walk with the Lord, as we depend upon the Lord, as we find our strength in the Lord, not in ourselves, not in our wealth, not in all of our possessions, not in all the things that we can buy, not in all of the technology. That's again, one of the issues that we're fighting in our culture. We think that because we are so techno savvy and we have so much technology, and we can do so much with our technology that that somehow makes us powerful. no, there's lots of people with power who are evil and corrupt to the core. It was disgusting. It just made me angry to watch Vladimir Putin get out of an airplane and walk on red carpet to meet with the leaders of Iran and Turkey. Here's an evil, wicked, despicable man. There's a part of me that had to repent because my flesh wanted to say, And to to think certain things about him when that man needs the Lord. But there's an evil, and he strutted across that red cart with his chest puffed out. Thinking that he's doing the world a service. And he is going to conquer, and he's going to rule and reign. And he's really nothing more than an ant at the end of a runway looking up at a 747. Shaking its little tiny arm and psalm 2 says the heathen rage but god will laugh god will have them in derision our power is not in ourselves and our technology and our wealth and all of our strength our power is in the lord our strength is in the lord he's praying for the ephesians he's not praying i hope that you have a good business and i hope you have good market savvy techniques i hope that you can make it in this Roman economy, I hope that, no, he, he's saying what? He's saying, in spite of all the economic collapse and poverty that you're experiencing because you've turned your life to Christ, in spite of all the persecution that you are facing because you have turned your life to Christ, you will find your greatest strength in the inner man, in the Lord. That's his prayer. That's, that's convicting, that's rebuking. When I pray for my kids, I often catch myself praying. And I have a card that I've used often as a prayer guide. And in, on that card, every day there's a prayer for my kids. And none of them has to do with them making lots of money and being the president of some company or being the CEO and some big shot. I'm not saying that, if, I mean, if God were to do that, I hope they share the wealth. But, you know, if, if, God, were to, if God were to do that to them, and, and, and allow them to, to have that. Praise the Lord. I want them to love the Lord and to do his will before any of that. But I see Paul's prayer, his heart, his purpose is that what? That they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. He's praying earnestly for there to be character and integrity to the very root, to the very soul, to the very heart. And that's that's our prayer that we should have for one another. I think of it as a father, as a parent, but we we have to be praying that for one another. We have to be praying for that, whether it's as a Sunday school teacher, to the, the children that you teach, a kids worker, or in some other ministry of the church, maybe in your job, your employees, your coworkers. Whatever the social group might be, if there's saved people, obviously we're praying for them to get saved if they're unsaved. But I'm talking about those believers who we come into contact with, who we know, we sense, we see the ungodliness of their life, the worldliness. They claim Christ. But what's our prayer to be ultimately for other believers? That they would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. We're not going to be able to get very far, but verse 17, that what? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, and then we'll have to come back to to verse 18, uh, Lord willing, next week. Uh, But we see here that Christ may dwell. Presence. This is literally that Christ might be at home in the believer's life. We'll have to close with with this due to time. But where, where, where are we at home? Some of us are picturing in our mind's eye right now. There's a certain sofa chair in the living room in front of the TV or in front of the fireplace or that section of the couch with the blankets and the pillows or maybe it's the bedroom where the kids are gone and there's nobody around and you can just have your quiet time. We think of home, maybe that place after you've traveled and you've journeyed and you've been here and there and everywhere and come home. I often think of going to college and spending all those months away at college and then coming back and pulling up in the driveway and hugging my mom and dad and walking in and there's my bed, there's my bedroom and just crashing. I'm home. And that's the way Christ should be in our lives, at home, filling our lives, controlling our lives, preeminent in our lives, seeking him first. This is what Paul's praying. This is what he's praying for the Ephesians, what ultimately by the inspiration and preservation of God's word for us and that we should be praying for one another. That there be the power of God strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Moral integrity, character fashioned by God, empowered by God. And Christ is at home, dwelling at home in our lives by faith. That's faith, trust, believing, and faithfulness continuing in that life of faith. And we we often reveal that Christ is not at home in our life because the world has crowded him out. Christ is given the garage where the car is parked and all the trash is stacked up in the corner. And too often that's where Christ is in our lives. When he should be at home, in the center, at our kitchen table, at our living room, in our bedroom, wherever we're at, at home, internally, personally, in our character, in our life, that he's preeminent and he is our priority. And we are seeking his will and we're living obedient lives and we're being faithful. And that's the prayer. And we'll have to continue, Lord willing, next week. But that's the prayer. That's convicting. (laughs) That's, That's rebuking. Because we often want to pray for, and it's not that it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for health and strength and wealth, but that's often where our focus lies. When really our prayers for one another really need to be more geared toward this kind of spiritual growth and development and strength and obedience and Christ likeness. And so it's a it's a great prayer. We'll continue, Lord willing, next week, and uh, then we'll look at Lord willing a couple of other prayers in Scripture that will. Uh, be a help and encouragement to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you will help us to be praying for one another in this way that there will be growth and spiritual strength and that Christ will be at home in our lives, that you will be first, you'll be preeminent. Lord, I pray that you will bless in the remainder of our week. Pray for your help and strength. Think of the Cotterman family, think of Kelly and her family, and pray for your comfort and your peace. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we've been able to spend together tonight around your word and in prayer. And we pray that, Lord, you will uh, keep us safe as you travel home. Bring us back together, Lord, we pray, on Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of the week. And we'll see you, Lord willing, on Sunday.